Welcome to the Quickfire Podcast. My name is Nathan Jackson. I'm here with Nathan Farmer. Nathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Glad to have you back. It's been a crazy couple of weeks since you've been gone. I was happy to fill in as the guest host, but definitely glad to have you back for sure. Yeah, and I was out of town, but uh, I'm back and excited to be talking about some U of U sports. And let's jump right in. We got women's volleyball. Uh, they had a rough week on the road uh First, they lost to WAC newcomer Stephen F. Austin three to one, and then WAC newcomer Sam Houston three to zero in Phoenix. Uh, this is the this is the first look that UVU has gotten at any of the new WAC teams in any across any sport. Uh, and volleyball is now ten and ten on the season and five and four in conference play. Yeah, they're going to need a strong finish in conference play to qualify for the conference tournament. They're currently fifth in the WAC West Division. I'm not really sure how they're formatting the uh, conference tournament. I know it's an eight-team tournament, so they're. I think they might take the top four from both divisions. That that's that would be my best guess. Um, but they're currently fifth in the in the WAC West Division, but they have a chance to make up some ground on some teams. Their next four games are against teams ahead of them in the standings. First up um, against Chicago State here at the Lockhart Arena on Saturday. That game is at noon. And then uh, their last three of their last four are against Grand Canyon, New Mexico State, and Cal Baptist who are all, all three of those teams are ahead of them in the standings as well. So they'll, they'll definitely have a chance to uh, gain some ground and uh, hopefully get some momentum going into the conference tournament. And it seemed like before last week that they were really starting to gain momentum. I think that they've lost, we've mentioned this on here before, but a lot of close matches. Uh, so to be at 10 and 10, obviously that's probably not what they had hoped, but I think that three or four of those matches go your way and you got a pretty solid record. Uh, so I think this team definitely has the potential to make that run and make a run at the conference tournament. It's just a matter of digging down and uh, winning those super close matches. Yeah, I think they've had seven matches, I want to say, go five sets. Which is unheard of. <laughs> yeah, it's, and they. I think they're only four and three in those, which it's a decent record, but you want that to be better especially if you're going to if you want to make it back to the NCAA tournament like they did last this past spring. Yeah, 5 and 4 in conference play leaves much to be desired. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, moving on to women's soccer. Uh, they had their final two home games of the season. I know I'm disappointed that the, they won't have any more home games. Those are some of my favorite games to go out and cover. But uh, they won 2 to nil over Seattle U this past Thursday. Julie Carter and Amber Tripp scored in that one. Uh, and then on Saturday, on Senior Day, they defeated Cal Baptist 1-0 uh, with Heather Stainbrook scoring the long goal on that one. Uh, before the game, the team honored their three seniors, uh, goalkeeper Brooklyn Nielsen, midfielder Amber Tripp, and defender Brianna Duval. And they only have two more games before the WAC tournament uh, at New Mexico State on Thursday at 7, and that game is on the WAC Digital Network and at Grand Canyon on Saturday, and that one will be on ESPN+. Plus. I don't remember the time for that one, but you can check that on GoUVU.com. Um, and then I just wanted to highlight some stats going into the final weekend of the regular season. A couple players for UVU have the chance to be the 
statistical leaders for the conference. Um, both of these are pretty, I think they're attainable for players. Um, Heather Stanbrook is currently second in the conference in goals with eight uh, behind Marlene Shimmer of Grand Canyon, who has 10. So a, a solid showing from her this weekend. She could be the top goal scorer in the conference. And then uh, Brooklyn Nielsen is second in goals against average. And it's kind of, I was looking at the stats yesterday and the, it's, it's interesting that like her the goals allowed are super low, but then she also hasn't been forced to make very many saves either. She's like in the bottom three in saves, which I think also like you can attribute that to the, to the off, to the defense. We've, we've been, we've highlighted that a few times when we talked about like the, they went on like a four or five match shutout streak at home during the season. So I, that's one thing to look forward to for them. And, um, and Nielsen also leads the conference in shutouts with six. So there's definitely some, some things to look out for this weekend, and especially because UVU is playing Grand Canyon this weekend. So they, they have a chance to get both of those stats going in their favor this weekend. Well, and with you mentioned the defense, and I think that we've seen that that defense can really uh, stifle other teams. But at the same time, in the games that they end up losing, I feel like that def- the defense almost gives way, where once the other team is allowed one goal, it kind of is a waterfall effect. Uh, and you mentioned with Nielsen, I think it's also... Uh, a testament to the offense to be able to keep the ball on their side of the field to not uh, turn over the ball as many times and to control the time of possession. I think that that also helps to contribute to keeping other teams scoreless and I think that if the offense can take over the match and control the pace like they did against Seattle. I was at that game. They had the ball on their side of the field for, I would, I want to say, this is not an official stat. This is just my guesstimate, but 75% of the match, they were down getting shots off on goal. Uh, so it is a defensive game and it is about the defense stopping the other team's runs, but it's also about the offense making sure that they're getting quality chances and keeping the ball on their side of the field. Yeah, for sure. Heading now into men's soccer, they split their two-game road trip last weekend. They played Chicago State and thrashed them with five second-half goals. Aaron Nixon and James Pina each scored twice, and Diego Castillo scored once. They then fell on Sunday 2-0 to to Houston Baptist. They have two games this week versus Air Force on Thursday at 2 p.m. That can be on streamed on ESPN plus and Saturday versus GCU at 2 PM. Uh, these are two very tough games, uh, this week and air force and grand Canyon are currently tied for first in the WAC at seven and one. Yeah. I've, I followed the black, I think it's just the black sports, uh, Twitter handle on Twitter. They, um, they, I keep seeing like highlights from grand Canyon's games and they're like beating other teams in the WAC, like four nothing, five nothing, stuff like that. So that's, I think that's definitely gonna be a really tough game. That's gonna be sure. tough to outscore an offensive juggernaut like that. Yeah, but I, I would not put it past Kyle Beckerman to figure out a good defensive scheme. I mean, they, they were able to hang with number three Washington for essentially the entire match it's earlier still, this season. It so. still pains me how close they were to taking yeah, that match. <laughs> <laughs> it still hurts. Uh, moving on to golf, both men's and women's golf are in action right now. Uh, men's golf, very jealous of them. They're at the 
Wakalei Invitational in Hawaii. Wish I was there with them. But <laughs> Maybe next year we can uh, figure out a way to go cover that. Yeah, yeah. For now we're stuck here in rainy Orem. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the same. Um, uh, women's golf, they're also in action down at the Clash at Boulder Creek. I love that name. Uh, the uh, golf tournaments just have like such epic names. Yeah, I don't. It's like why. that, uh, that, and like cross country invitationals. Those, like, I don't understand. It's like the battle at Hokage Mountain Invitational, right? Like, yeah, yeah. They're they're in Boulder City, Nevada. That tournament, that one is hosted by Northern Arizona. We, Bryce and I talked about this last week when we were mentioning this, and we're like, why, why is Northern Arizona hosting a tournament in Nevada? But I'm sure it's. <laughs> relatively close geographically speaking <laughs> um, but moving on to cross country uh, women finished first and the men finished second at the Utah Open last Thursday in Salt Lake City That's a, see that's a normal name the Utah Open, Utah Open. It's, it's kind of boring but it's like it's not ridiculous like, like we had the, the UVU Clash Invitational I feel like we didn't like go above and beyond to make the name sound like extreme you know like it's yeah <laughs> I feel like that's pretty standard for cross country it's just like something like wherever you're at invitational yeah but um Everlyn Kemboy won the women's race it was her first career win at Utah Valley University and Elizabeth Swallen finished fourth Madison White finished sixth and Abby Linford finished tenth to round out the top ten on the men like I mentioned, they finished second overall. They were led by a fourth-place finish by Hawk Call. And then Cameron Jacobs also finished in the top ten with a tenth place. He still has the coolest name on all of sports. <laughs> Hawk yeah, Call. Yeah, for sure. Uh, up next for them is the WAC Championships in Riverside, California on this Saturday the 30th. Uh, and UVU's runners will attempt to qualify for the NCAA Regionals, which will be held here in Provo at the Timpanogos Golf Club on November 12th. So good luck to them with that. Moving on to some news and notes. Kyle Beckerman night is on November 3rd at Rio Tinto Stadium. Uh, the Real Salt Lake will be honoring their former captain and current UBU men's soccer coach. Uh, tickets are on sale starting at $15, and the match will be also broadcasted on ESPN2. On moving, switching over to basketball, Fardaz Imac was named to the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Center of the Year preseason watch list. He is the first athlete in UVU history to be named to a preseason national watch list. Uh, Fardaz averaged uh, just under 14 points per game and 15 rebounds per game. He is the first person in men's basketball for, in the past 40 years to average uh, 15 rebounds per game. So he had a really historically great season and he definitely got on a lot of people's radars after that performance this past season well and it'll be interesting to see uh we've talked about how he's kind of lost weight and slimmed down in order to be able to be that kind of stretch five mm -hmm. uh it'll be interesting to see if he's able to still get physical and get in the paint in order to get those rebounds and if those rebound numbers drop off or if they kind of plateau yeah, and like he kind of reminded me a little bit of somebody. I, um, I'm sure if there's any BYU fans listening to this podcast, uh, Krzysztof Karnowski from Gonzaga a few years ago. He's that really big Eastern European dude 
mm-hmm. that played for Gonzaga. He kind of, I might kind of remind me of him a little bit, but I'm, it'd be interesting to see. Because now he's kind of evolved into like a, it looks like he's trying to kind of get to the point of like a Kyle Wilcher where mm-hmm. he's trying to be able to kind of have that athletic build where he can drive the ball, but then also step out and shoot the three and uh, bang in the post with his size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm at Fardos, he was also named the WAC preseason player of the year. Not really a big shock there. I mean, he swept all the awards. <laughs> Defensive player of the year, player of the year last year, and then also first team all WAC. So no surprise there. Trey Woodbury was also named to the preseason all-whack team. Uh, Woodbury was the leading scorer for the Wolverines with 15 points per game. And uh, the team was also selected to finish fourth in the whack behind New Mexico State, Grand Canyon, and Stephen F. Austin in that order. In their first game, November 9th at Boise State. I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to be a tough game. I think we'll have to, we'll probably be out there in the masses in terms of the sports section. I'm sure that all of us want to cover that one. Yeah. Moving on to women's basketball, Maria Carvalho and Josie Williams were both named to the preseason All-WAC team. Both players earned first-team All-WAC honors last season and were the top two point scorers at 12.9 and 14.2 points per game, respectively. Women's basketball opens up the season November 9th against Park University, which is an NAIA school uh i mean coming off an ncaa tournament run i think that they have obviously learned some things i'm excited about some of the newcomers talia white sage gibb uh as well as the returning players like maria carvalho josie williams shafano i think that that team is built to make it back to the ncaa tournament and i think that they have a great chance to do so yeah the wolverines are projected to finish third in the whack this season well, you have Cal Baptist who's eligible this season, so it's not yeah. going to be easy. Yeah, Cal Baptist, man, they, they just rolled through the conference last season. I, weren't they? They were 24-0 at one point, and then they lost in the semifinal of the NIT because they weren't eligible for the NCAA tournament. Oh, yeah, that, that's yeah, that, that a great team, team. That team scares me a little bit, honestly. And then also Stephen F. Austin, they were finished to, or projected to finish second. Yep. So They're always a solid team in terms of uh, basketball. Yeah, well, and that's one thing that I kind of wanted to mention with the the two volleyball games this week. We got our first look at the uh, new teams in the WAC, especially. No offense to like Lamar and all those other the other couple of schools, but I think Stephen F. Austin and Sam Houston State they're definitely the top two schools that uh, joined the WAC this season, and I'm thrilled for the WAC just just as a whole because the the quality of play is going to increase tremendously and i think with that the recruiting is going to improve overall for the conference especially hopefully for uvu um the wax going to be one of the top mid-major conferences for basketball i think in the coming years for sure i 100 percent agree i think that you have names like stephen f austin and sam houston those teams have excelled and made the NCAA tournament and made runs in the NCAA tournament. And so when you add teams like that to your conference, not only do you add depth to the conference, but in terms of UVU, you get quality wins if you can take those teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it builds an NCAA tournament resume where while UVU currently as it stands, most likely will never get a selection for a bid because of uh, – just their smaller status in terms of universities uh, across the nation. I think that it's 
they're building towards the point where the WAC has enough teams where if a team does go 23-0, they might get that NCAA tournament bid rather than just getting the automatic bid and being a 16 seed. Yeah, well, that's one thing that Bryce was mentioning last week because he covered the um, media day for men's basketball. And like Mark Madsen was talking about how hopefully the WAC can become a two, maybe even a three-bid league. Within the next few years. I think it's possible. I think that it all depends on how these teams perform in their Uh, non-conference. What I've seen with leagues like the West Coast Conference is there will be teams like uh, St. Mary's and BYU that will kind of struggle in their non-conference, but then excel in their conference schedule. And so that almost tells the selection committee that their conference is lighter. Uh, so if teams like UVU and Stephen F. Austin, Sam Houston are able to win a lot of their non-conference games, especially the ones on the road against pow- uh, Power 5 schools, I think that that makes a statement and uh, basically lets the rest of the NCAA know that the WAC has forced to be reckoned with. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it should be interesting to see how like the the at-large bids pan out in coming years. It's like, I don't know if, it's like, I, it wouldn't surprise me if the West Coast Conference turns back into a one-bid league. Mm-hmm. I think they will. Because, I mean, St. Mary's, they've kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit the last couple of years, but then there's still other teams in that conference like Loyola Marymount and uh, San Francisco that are starting to build up their programs. So, that, that should be interesting to see. And I'm, I'm not too familiar with some of the other mid-major conferences like the Atlantic 10 and stuff like that to know where they're at in, in terms of like how many bids per season they're averaging. But it wouldn't surprise me, like we've been saying in coming years, if the WAC can get a, an additional bid or two. And in terms of, I think that kind of end, this landscape of the NCAA shifted where they are trending away from choosing these uh, major names in sports like the Chapel Hills and the Dukes and the Clemsons, right? Especially you've seen it in uh, football. These schools are no longer being ranked in the preseason rankings and they're kind of favoring teams that excelled in the previous season. So you see teams like Coastal Carolina, BYU, uh, making the top 25 a lot easier than I feel like they have in the past where the selection committees have favored uh, those uh, major schools in the past. And I think that it's opening a door for other sports as well, where the NCAA tournament may not be Chapel Hill, Duke, Gonzaga, Villanova every single year as one seeds. So I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think we're definitely seeing a shift in, especially at least in men's basketball in terms of like who the brand names are is like North Carolina last couple of years they haven't been as good I know this past season they kind of righted the ship a little bit yeah they, they just had Roy Williams retire too so yeah they have that coaching change we'll see how that pans out yeah and same with Duke too I mean it's I mean Duke they're still landing all the big recruits even though Coach K is he's retiring after this season like I think it'll be I think that as well as the kind of selection process changing, I feel like recruiting has changed a lot where you even have players choosing to go to the G League rather than play college ball, uh, which was unheard of before. Yeah, and I think that's kind of contributing to like a more evening out in terms of recruiting across the board. I mean, we're not obviously not seeing top like five-star recruits. Yeah, I mean, it's... 
there's still big recruits going to college because they still view that as their best option, at least for certain players. But like, I mean, you're seeing teams that are getting, especially like with the um, the transfer portal, yeah. getting so much steam, and then also there, I think they've changed the rule so you don't. There's only like very, there's very few cases where you have to sit out. Yeah, they the used year. to be where you'd have to sit out an entire year, right? So you'd waste a year of eligibility if you wanted to transfer. So like, if you wanted to transfer, it was really, you had to be serious, right? Mm-hmm. But now I know guys that have transferred and played first game of the next season for another team. Mm-hmm. And I think that's becoming a lot more common. It's almost like an NBA landscape where if the situation is not best for the player, they are totally willing to look elsewhere. Speaking of the NBA... The Jazz started their season this past week. They're sitting at 2-0 with wins against Sacramento and OKC. They blew out the Thunder 107-86, and they beat Sacramento 110-101. The game against the Thunder, they had a pretty uh, balanced game. I mean, they had, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six players scoring double figures. Nobody scoring above 25 points is a balanced attack. I think mm-hmm. that that was a testament just to Quinn Snyder's offensive scheme and distributing the ball and passing the ball around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, one thing that um, Bryce and I were talking about last week is, um, at least that I mentioned and Bryce kind of agreed with me, <laughs> at least was that um, that Kings game was going to be the tougher of the two for sure. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned Davion Mitchell, and he was uh, – hound on guarding Donovan Mitchell. I mean, that I, when it shows, I mean, Mitchell shot, let's see. I think he, he Mitchell shot something percent. Yeah. He shot nine of 25 from the field and six of 14 from three. So, I mean, the three point percentage isn't bad, but nine of 25 from the field. Yeah. He's not getting a lot of clean looks. I'm a Warriors fan, as I mentioned many times before, (laughs) but, um, I, the Kings hold a special place in my heart because they were, they were the first team that I, rooted for as a little kid but then they kind of just fell off a cliff and right around the time they started playing bad is when the we believe team happened so i just kind of shifted allegiances there that's fair call me a bandwagoner if you want (laughs) i mean baron davis is fun to watch oh yeah yeah my my boss at work he gives me crap (laughs) i'm i don't know how i don't remember how this came up but he's like oh yeah i just smoked him in that series like the the 2008 com- like conference semifinals, like after they had beaten the the Mavericks, they faced the Jazz, and it was Jazz won that game that series in five. And I'm like, okay, like we weren't even supposed to make it out. Of the yeah, first you weren't round, supposed to make it out okay. the first round. <laughs> like yeah. the fact that they made it to the second round is a feat in itself. Yeah. But I think that the NBA as a whole is pretty evenly. Matched. I don't think that one team stands out above the rest. I think that a lot of people thought that the Lakers were going to be this powerhouse mm-hmm. that was going to kind of rise above the rest of the league. But I honestly think that the Lakers, as they are constructed right now, are no better than Milwaukee or Utah or Denver. I think that they are in the same league as those teams and that it's a pretty balanced league overall. That's that's one thing that's kind of exciting, honestly. Yeah, it's refreshing. I look at the West. I mean, well... Let me take a step back. Like looking at the East last season, Atlanta was. Did that series go seven games? I think it went. Milwaukee? I, I believe it did go seven games. Yeah, so they were they were one game away from 
at least one game away from making the the finals and nobody they weren't on anybody's radar nobody expected Atlanta yeah the same with the Heat the season before well the Heat this year I think that they look solid with Kyle Lowry and Victor Oladipo on a vet minimum Mm, yeah yeah for sure and then but like coming back to the West I think there's a solid seven or eight teams honestly that could come out I mean even when you have the when you have the Spurs and you're talking about the Spurs being an eighth seed mm-hmm. as they're constructed, I think that that shows the depth of the West where they almost made the playoffs last year. Greg Popovich, testament to him, but also that team has uh, significantly improved in the past couple of years. Uh, and I think that they have a great chance to make the playoffs this year. But uh, for the Jazz, I think it's going to be a very difficult year in terms of getting wins. I think it'll be a lot of close games. I mean, you have Denver, you have uh, Portland, you have Golden State, you have LA, you have all these teams that are pretty evenly matched across the board. I don't think that I, any team has the other team's number every single night. So you have to uh, come out with a solid offensive scheme to be able to prepare for these teams in order to get these wins and take the number one seed overall. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that's like kind of refreshing with the NBA. I mean, we're still seeing the quote unquote super teams. Yeah, like it's not like 2016 though, where it was the Warriors and the Cavs, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, there's a lot more parity, and it's not so much that like those teams. Like it's more so like teams getting better than actually like the talent being distributed better. I feel like if that makes any sense. Like Brooklyn still has arguably a super team right yeah. mm-hmm. but without Kyrie uh, I think that that hurts them quite a bit but overall I feel like every team in the league kind of has like two all-stars mm-hmm. you have Jason Brown uh, Jaylen Brown Jason Tatum uh, Harden and Durant uh, LeBron and AD right Westbrook is an all-star but uh, that team's still struggling to kind of form together yeah um, so I think that like you said it's just a better better built teams where there's a lot of teams with depth, and so it's not just a matter of who has the most all-stars. It's a matter of who has the best constructed team. Yeah, for sure. Why don't we move on to some predictions for this week and see how we project the Jazz to do this week. So they got Houston on Thursday. I think the Rockets are, honestly, like they have John Wall, right? Hey, I don't know if he's played yet this season. He's, I, he's been hurt for so long. Yeah. And I, I honestly just kind of forgot about him too a little bit. That's fair. I don't think the Rockets really have like a ton of – like they have Christian Wood. I, I do like his game, but I don't think that that team is really dangerous per se. I, um, that, I think the Jets, that's the one, the one lock. Yeah, that's like guaranteed win. Yeah. Yeah, but those but, other three games this week, tonight against Denver – and then uh, Saturday, Sunday, back-to-back against Chicago and Milwaukee. That, that's tough. Both of those games could go either way. I think those are both toss-ups, honestly. Yeah, and tonight against Denver, that's on TNT. You know I'm going to be watching that. But uh, I have made it vocal that I despise Denver. I uh, Jamal Murray, I absolutely think he is overrated. But um, he is... An excellent shooting, like he is a good shooter. I just don't think that he's the number one option on a team. Uh, and so I think without Jamal Murray, though, that Denver team really isn't more than a four or five seed. I think that he elevates them to the level with the spacing that his shooting brings um, and kind of the 
it's almost like the Paul George effect where people know his name. So the defense collapses on him and spaces out the rest of the floor. I think that the Jazz can probably win this game against Denver. It's all about whether or not Gobert can keep up with Jokic um, on defense because especially in the playoffs last season, Gobert was getting burned a lot uh, on the drive. And so it's a matter of, I don't think the Jazz need to do anything particularly insane on offense. I think that it's a matter of if their defense shows up or not. Yeah. I'll I'll probably say Jazz go three and one this week. Um, I'll say wins against Denver, Houston, and then probably Chicago. I think the second night of the back to back in Milwaukee is going to be the toughest for I, sure. I think so as well. Especially Milwaukee's got the home court advantage, and their fans really bring a lot of energy to that team. Giannis, every time he gets a fast break, that arena explodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that. I'll say they probably go two and two in the week. Uh, I think that they will probably drop Chicago and Milwaukee. Um, I think Chicago is on a tear right now, and they're kind of hot. Um, and yeah, that was like the first, was the, the first, first time that they've gone four and zero in forty five years or something. Yeah, since actually, I think it was since the ninety the ninety six team. So it was probably yeah, because they started out. Uh, pretty hot. I don't know why I said 45 years, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Michael Jordan. Duh. <laughs> um, I think that Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan, those are great additions for that team where it's not just Zach Levine uh, taking the offensive load anymore. I think that that team thrives on ball movement and Billy Donovan's done a great job of uh creating a team-based culture. And I think that that team is dangerous on any given night. Well, that, that, they, I think the Bulls speak perfectly to the point that we were making about how the NBA has shifted from super teams to... To depth. To depth, yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, Zach Levine is not going to take over the game and win you the game on every single night, right? Like he's an all, he's bona fide all-star, but the spread of the talent across the board is what makes that team good. Yeah, for sure. All right, so that's it for this week's Quick Fire podcast. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at uh, NL Farmer. It's NL Farmer 1 for me. And uh, N Jackson 3131, something like that. Sorry, I can't remember my Twitter <laughs> handle. It's been too long. Um, you guys have a wonderful week. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. Thank you.